Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones, back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you, Tommy? I am doing very well. A disclaimer at the top that uh, we're recording even earlier than usual, since uh, yours truly will be out and about to parts unknown all week. Uh, Keith, though, life is good. Things, uh, things okay in your world? Things are very good. Things are very good. Thank you. Although, when did recruiting become such a hot topic in June? What, what happened? Well, the timetables have shifted, as you know, and so you have the early signing period, which has moved all kinds of official visits up, and then you have, I say dead period, it's not a dead period from a recruiting standpoint, it's the dead period because we're not playing games, and right, so right. it's silly season, and we talk about everything 24-7, 365, and, that's, and we'll talk about it later in this show with Patrick Burnham from the Osceola. It's just uh, it, the things have changed at an increasing rate. Is that is that what's going on in the world today? I have, have am I not paying attention? It is now a uh, busy week, and and go back to Sunday, Keith. It was Father's Day, and I'm going to start there, and uh, maybe we can share some tales later on. But I'm happy to report that uh, I participated in Charlie Ward's father son basketball clinic, and I'm still standing. So that is a win. <laughs> Well, good he for actually, you. Good for you. He actually had the old guys try to do something that involved coordination and or hamstrings, and uh, mine are still intact, as best I can tell. I was uh, I was ch- exchanging text messages with Bobby Butler, and um, and um, something came up about uh, turnaround. Ivory Joe Hunter was on that, and James Harris was on that text, and we were talking about backpedaling and turning and running and not getting beat deep and I told him that I if I were to try to do that I would fall down and somebody would have to go get Randy Orovitz or, or Moondog John Mooney to come help me Butler said that he was afraid he would pull a hamstring uh, to which I responded I'm not even fast enough to pull a hamstring so I would just fall down and want someone to go get Randy Orovitz and John Mooney <laughs> Charlie was funny at the start of this, we've talked about this, I think, because I've been involved in some events with Charlie and one event around the spring game weekend. He used to be the guy who would never say anything, right? Right now, right, he right. just opens that mouth, he won't shut up, right? <laughs> but no, so he was he was uh, given the the pre clinic talk, if you will, and and that portion was directed not at the kids, that was directed at the dads. And the basic premise of the message was, don't let your ego get in the way. Don't try to act like you're 14. There's a trainer over there in the corner, and it's okay to sit a sit a drill out. 
<laughs> Charlie is wise beyond his years. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good time. Uh, if you're not aware, he hosts that every Father's Day, uh, the Charlie and Tonja Ward Foundation. So that was a good time. Now, Monday night, uh, so my son participated in that. Monday night, Mike Norvell had uh, his football camp. He's, we've been talking about camps, most of them involving high school age kids. And that's where the recruiting comes in that we'll get to with Patrick Burnham. But Monday night was uh, the non-recruitables, if you will. Not that they don't make a mental note if they find some eighth grader that looks like he's going to be a star down the line. Right. But uh, this more of a community goodwill thing, I, I would say, for uh, for kids in the Tallahassee or surrounding areas to come in and they treat it like a practice. I mean, you know, ball coaches are no, are no nonsense when you get out there, Keith. So there's not a lot of standing around. They're blowing the whistle and you're going. That's the thing that has always amazed me. Uh, even even when they hold, you know, the Leonard Hamilton camps that go all the way down to, uh, you know, the elementary school age kids, uh, you're not out there to to stand around and giggle and get autographs. They they make you do a lot of things, and um, it it's. I think Charlie's expression to the dads and, and comments to the dads is right on track because the youngsters like doing that, but the old folks need to be very, very careful. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll get past the youngsters. We'll talk more of the, uh, the oldsters as in the guys that Florida state is recruiting right now with uh, Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. We are uh, just getting started here on front row. Knoll, so kick back, hang with us. And uh, we'll talk Florida state, Florida state right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to fire, uh, crank open that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Osceola insider, Pat Burnham, and Pat, Keith, and I were whining in the first segment, as we always do, that uh, it never seems to slow down these days, and we're not even the ones that are chasing the stories and doing the work out there, but didn't June used to mean vacations at some point? I, I guess second semester of the summer, some of the players were, were arriving on campus, but it certainly didn't, didn't the recruiting time. Yeah, listen, uh, the recruiting calendar is certainly uh, more uh, busier than it ever has been that I can remember. I was just having that conversation uh, with uh, one of our rivals, national recruiting analysts earlier today on Seminole sidelines that uh, I, you know, we had at South Florida, we had a camp in June, uh, sling and shoot big man camp, and that was virtually it. We'd have the occasional unofficial visit uh we didn't uh, official visits in the summer were not a thing then they are now uh florida state will spend this entire month just about every day with at least one prospect on campus if not multiple and obviously they've had they will at the end of this week have at least four official visit weekends for the month of uh june so it's been it's been crazy there's no doubt Pat, is there a dead period sometime coming up before camp starts? I mean, do they get to catch their breath anywhere? Yeah, the calendar should go dead uh, Saturday night at midnight, so June 25th, essentially. Uh, obviously, they'll have kids on campus for official visits, about 18 to 20 kids as we know it right now. Uh, but certainly, yes, the calendar will go dead on June 25th, and I believe it stays dead till maybe the last uh, full week of July. So they will get a little break. Well, let's, let's work backwards before we work forward, Pat. Uh, the, the kids, I, recruits who were in this past weekend, 
not as big a group as is coming in this coming weekend, but there was a five-star in there. Uh, what what can you tell us about how they feel about the guys that were in or how you feel about what you've seen? On well, yeah, listen, you, you had, uh, you know, first of all, I think it's, you know, Florida State obviously does a great job with their unofficial and official visits. Every kid comes uh, raving out of these, uh, all both types of visits, talking about the honesty of Mike Norvell and his staff and that, you know, they shoot them straight. And uh, then, of course, on the other side of it, as you said, the, the, the Florida State is getting more high-profile prospects in on unofficial visits, official visits. You know, Charles Lester was probably the headliner this week, uh, the cornerback from Miami that's been to Alabama, Colorado, uh, and will go to Georgia this weekend. You know, uh, Florida State really seems like they are uh, totally – he's totally locked in with Florida State as far as who his favorite is. He has not committed to anyone yet. Uh, but, you know, he, sa he said this on Sunday after his visit, uh, I feel the most comfortable at Florida State. And then I think, you know, one of the things that impressed me that he said uh, is out of all the head coaches I've been to, we talk about on visits, uh, that guy, Mike Norvell, makes me feel like I'm the highest priority in the world. Uh, you know, so that says a lot about the job Mike and his staff have done with Lester, who uh, could sign anywhere he wants in December. Uh, you know, he told us back in, I believe, April when he was on an official visit, we had a chance to talk to him. Uh, you know, he said, at heart, I am committed to Florida State. So I think Florida State is uh, the leader with Charles Lester. I think that it's only a matter of time. He is going to the University of Georgia this weekend for an official visit. Uh, I think I think he will announce sometime between now and the start of his senior season. Guys, we're six weeks away from camp starting, which is hard to believe, uh, both at college level and high school level. So uh, then, of course, you had B.J. Gibson in, who's already committed to Florida State. Uh, you know, listen, he's only taken one other official visit to Stanford. Uh, obviously, he's going to play both sports at Florida State, baseball and football. Uh, and then, of course, you had Alex January, a big defensive tackle out of Duncanville, Texas. Uh, it's down between Florida State, Texas, Texas Tech, LSU uh, among that's uh, four of the five, uh, and then of course you had a uh, cornerback Kevin Levy from South Florida in town. Uh, I think Kevin's been here. Uh, it's and by my my estimation, it's his best offer. If you're looking at brands, I I think it's just a numbers game from Kevin. Where does he fit in on their board? I think Kevin would come commit to Florida State right now, uh, but uh, he's got Louisville among others and. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, and then, of course, you had Ricky Knight, the other cornerback out of South Florida that's related to Kevin Levy. He was here. Uh, he's got uh, another official visit this weekend. But, uh, listen, they all these kids rave about what they do with their official visits at Florida State, and uh, it was a successful weekend, for no doubt, uh, particularly because it does seem to be uh, – the lean for uh, Lester seems to go heavier and heavier towards Florida State by the day. It appears too, Pat, that while obviously and Georgia are, are key geographic uh, points, um, now that they're able to get out, now that they're able to travel some, you're seeing FSU, you know, reach out nationally like they've done in the past. Yeah, listen, you got a kid like Christian Clark who's got some FSU ties. Uh, but he is in Phoenix, Arizona. He's the uh, he's a running back. He's a number two rated all-purpose running back in the country by rivals. And you know he was there on official visit the first weekend in June. Uh, it is down between uh, Oregon, Florida State, 
Alabama and Georgia for the uh, and Texas. Those are his top five. Uh, obviously, uh, Georgia and Florida State are the two furthest programs from his home. Uh, so you're right. They are recruiting on a national level. They're going back into Texas. Obviously, they've had success in Louisiana, and I think it's a combination of uh, two things. They've been here three years, as you alluded to, going into their fourth. There's been very little turnover on the staff, so these relationships with the high school coaches uh, are not only becoming stronger in state and in the South, but you know these guys have done a great job of utilizing their contacts throughout the United States. You've got Derek Ray on staff, who uh, is a West Coast guy. You know we've seen we saw a group of kids come in from Washington State earlier in the week or the end of last week. They offered all four kids. Uh, you're seeing the Christian Clarks. You're seeing kids out of California where they where some of these coaches have backgrounds and Chris Thompson at Texas. So yeah, the fact that they've been here three years uh certainly helped with the local recruiting the fact that they have connections throughout the united states has certainly allowed them to at least reach out to people and when you tie that together with a 10-win season uh that brand that logo which uh means so much anyway just pops that much harder so uh certainly it's a uh uh, you know a lot of things coming together to make to get florida state to where they are on the recruiting trail right now how do you feel about where they are on the recruiting trail, Pat, given that, I, I don't know, two months ago they were they were probably in the top five or close to it. And now just because they only have 11 commitments, which isn't nearly as many as a lot of schools have in the top 20, they're they're back down 17, 18, something like that. Are they still in pretty good shape based on who they're? Well, they're yeah. In? I mean, you add a kid like Charles Lester, you're gonna, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert on the rankings and maybe I should be because I work for a recruiting network. But listen, yeah, certainly that number is going to go up. And listen, you know, this this whole you know, we get we read a lot into commitments. You got to hope that Florida states are firm. But you know, listen, this this recruiting battle is going to go on through mid December when they have early national signing day. And I, you know, if Florida State has the season uh, that we all think they're going to have, uh, you know, it's a lot of anticipation going into the 2023 season. Uh, listen, if they go, if they get to that 10 win marker above. Uh, you know they're they're going to have some ability to go back into some living rooms they're already they've already been in and resell the program again and show hey listen we're for real that 10, th- 10 and three season was the real deal uh, we've cut we've you know we've verified it by coming back and having another great season so yes I would I would think you know if you were to land a Ashton Hampton from Florida High or even Micah Danzi, uh, you know, obviously those are four or five star guys. Your your ranking's going to go up. And, uh, you know, listen, I always say, tell me, show me where you are three years after signing class. And, of course, now you got the portal involved. But, you know, your true ranking is where you are three years after that class signed, right? I mean, that's that's how that's how good you did. But, uh, anyway, yeah, listen, I think the winning will help. The fact that they've been here now going on four years helped. Uh, obviously, they've done a great job, and they will continue to do so. But, uh, yeah, I would expect that you will see them uh, continue to move up the power rankings or the rankings in the re- recruit with the recruiting services for sure. Pat, at least Tommy and I, and, and we're not much of a consensus, but we've, we've pretty much in our minds, I think, uh, figured out that you, you use the transfer portal when you identify needs. So we, yep. we need a defensive end and we need a safety. Do you still recruit at the high school level for the best available athlete or are they getting specialized even at the high school level? 
Uh, you know, listen, I think I think if a player, I, I think a player, if he's good enough, if he's one of those different makers, I think you recruit him at the high school level, regardless of the position, right? I mean, if he's a guy that you're saying, hey, if we just do our job and he does what he needs to do, this guy's going to play for us. Yes, I mean, there's certain guys, regardless of position, or no matter or who you have at that position, if they're good enough, you're going to take them. Now, Keith, what I think is going to happen is I think you're going to start seeing – college football programs probably build their lines more through the portal uh you know take it you know i think you're gonna start seeing them take less risk on whether a guy can develop like you know if you got a guy that's six five six six three hundred pounds but hadn't played a lot of football uh in high school uh, or still developing growing to his body why wouldn't you go to a group of five school that's developed somebody and got three or four years left or maybe even a year if it's just a hole you're trying to fill but i do think the portal is going to change the way certain positions are recruited out of high school and i specifically when i say that mean offensive line and defensive line because those guys are harder to protect coming out of high school going into college than they are coming from another college to florida state or from a group of five school to a power five school however you want to look at it uh yes i think the portal will change the way people do business uh, particularly as it has to do with offensive and defensive line hey pat i know you're the you're our guy in the trenches the expert there but uh do you have thoughts or have you watched tape on on the quarterback who's coming in that uh, I know just finished in the Elite 11 and did fairly well there? Uh, Luke Kromenhoff, that's how you, how you pronounce it? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, Kromenhoff. Yeah, yeah. listen, I, ha I have not watched film on him in a while. <laughs> it's an impressive film. He's a competitor. Uh, you know, uh, you go back and watch that, his uh, – state championship game in high school where he this past season this December when he was not getting a whole lot of help from his team uh he's certainly a tough kid I've talked with Denny Thompson his quarterback uh guru over there in Jacksonville and Denny has raved about his mechanics and his ability to throw the ball and I, I spoke with John Garcia uh rivals national recruiting analyst who's at the elite 11 uh had a bunch of great things to say about John uh, really thinks he's got a chance to come in here. Uh, you know, Jordan's going to graduate after this year or be through his eligibility, uh, however you want to term it. Uh, Luke's probably, I would imagine, is going to roll early. I think I'm, I'm safe going out of that limb. Uh, you know, John feels after seeing him for the last, or he saw him Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week, John feels like Luke's got a legitimate chance to come in here and compete with Tate, AJ, and Brock next spring. So, uh, you know, listen, I've known John a long time. I spent a long time since we worked together. We worked together back for Fox Sports and Scout.com after I got out of football. Uh, and uh, he's a guy I trust, and uh, we'll, we'll get a better chance to. And listen, Luke looked great at uh, Elite Camp. I didn't watch the quarterbacks much. I was watching the big guys. Uh, Kurt and Bob were watching, but they raved about how Luke looked. But, yes, I think uh, – you know, he's going into his body. He's only got one year of starting experience. I think it's safe to say that as he gets bigger, as he gets stronger, and as he gets more experience, Luke's only going to get better. We just got about a minute left here, Pat. The one guy that you really hope commits to Florida State in the next week or two, maybe an outlier or someone is flying under the radar. Well, you know, I, I would love to see them uh, – you know, I don't. I don't think they've got an offensive lineman, so I'd take Jason Zandamella right now if they would take him. You know, you've got uh, and of course, you know, listen, I, I really, 
you know, you get to know some of these kids and you start to talk to them. Uh, but, you know, there's a kid named Derek Plaz who has Florida State, his top five, committed to Penn State, then decommitted. Uh, you know, you get to know those kids. A guy like Derek Plaz or the running back Christian Clark, obviously, who's got some Florida State ties. But you get to talk to these kids and, you know, listen, you got to be careful. You can't like them just because you like their personality. You got to like them as football players. But, yeah, some of those guys where you've gotten a chance to build a somewhat of a little bit of a relationship uh you know those are the guys and of course you know listen it'd be great if they could snag a, a defensive end or flip dylan stevenson back from stanford to florida state so there are some guys that you would like to see them uh get after but i would say uh i take either one of those three Matt, we appreciate your insight as always and uh, i know you're looking forward to the break when the july we get to july as well thanks as always sir all right guys have a good one be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. I'm Trevor Knowles, Tom, and uh, Keith Jones with you. We let Patrick Burnham go. He's busy. He's still chasing uh, all these recruits around. Uh, he, he shared with us in the break there, Keith, at the, the Osceola, and you can go online and, and read this and uh, check out the latest. But but there's a lot of other position previews. It, it's the middle of June last I checked. I don't even know. Maybe we, you know, I don't even know if we're the back half of June yet. I guess technically we are, and they're, they're doing their position previews, the stuff that used to be August. Well, like I said uh, on shows past, you know, I haven't seen the official. Maybe you know. I just haven't looked for it. I haven't seen the official first day of reporting for fall camp but I'm expecting it to be in July. And I can never remember that ever happening before. Yeah. I don't know. They've, uh, they, we, we haven't talked a lot of uh, X's and O's. I mean, because there's still so much time before the season gets started, but what, what's your biggest position concern? I'll ask it both ways. What are you most excited about in terms of either the frontline player or the depth of the position? And what's your biggest area of concern? My, my biggest excitement is wide receiver. Uh, with, with Even though you've lost Micah, uh, you know, et cetera. But there, there are some just some body types that create some mismatches. Uh, with the tight end room being improved, you know, that, that forces defenses to pay attention to them which will assist the wide receivers. Um, probably the area I'm most concerned about is kind of a, 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 an age-old area uh, that has seen some improvement, but, uh, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody that's there right now, but the linebacker position, because that, again, is, you know, we haven't had an All-American at that spot in quite a while. Uh, and obviously Coach Shannon does a fabulous job and they continue to get better. But, you know, if I have to answer the, the test question on the, in the middle of June, uh, high marks and anticipation for the wide receivers and not holding my breath, not thinking they're going to be bad, but just would love to see some real improvement at the linebacker position. No concern for the safety position and the lack of depth or the inexperience beyond the starters? Certainly there's inexperience issues there, but given the talent, I mean, you know, it's it's not – it's not a big transition to go from corner to safety. It's a bigger transition to go from safety to corner or safety to nickelback, but it's not a huge transition to go from corner to safety. 
So if they need to, to pull one of these uh, guys that have got a, a couple of years under their belt and, and move them back instead of lining up, you know, three or four yards off the ball, they line up between eight or nine yards off the ball. Uh, I, I just, I'm just not terribly concerned about that. Maybe I should be, maybe I should be, but I'm not. Why is it uh, easier to go from corner to the safety than the other way? Because you're not turning your back? That and, you know, if you want to think about it, and I'll be the first one to tell you, again, it's 40 years ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, but your corners traditionally are much more athletic than your safeties in terms of their speed, their, their length, the, the, the proverbial ability to move their hips. And so you, you, when you move from a corner to a safety position, at least in theory, you're not called upon all that athleticism. And if you've already got it, you're one step ahead. Well, good to know that you don't have concern. What do you think about the two frontline guys there, though, in uh, Kim and Shaheen? I, I like both of them. I mean, if, if we were in a position where they could play every snap and there was no danger of being hurt, I'd say they're, they're two very, very good ones. But in today's game, you've got to play four or even five through rotation and then obviously the, the, the possibility of an injury or being nicked or something of that nature. But those, those two frontline guys, I'm very comfortable with. Well, we will continue to, uh, to talk more on-field football instead of the, uh, the off-field that uh, accompanies uh, all this silly season. Although recruiting is not silly season. Silly season is more the conference uh, realignment and all that stuff which maybe it's not so silly because something pops every summer, Keith. So it actually does well, come to fruition. San Diego State has requested, uh, based on what I've been able to read, that, that they need to know what their exit requirements are if they, quote, unquote, leave the conference. Um, you know, the, there was some recent articles about Notre Dame and their new television contract or when it comes up and who it'll be with and how much it's worth and, and would Notre Dame continue to relish in the independence? Um, uh, the uh, SEC schedules, at least from a framework standpoint, have come out for 24 when uh, OU and Texas will be, you know, part of the SEC. Uh, we still don't have a Pac-12 contract for television based on where we're sitting right now today. So, the, yeah, it's silly season, but there's a lot of moving parts out there on the conference realignment as well. Pac-12 should should partner with the uh, the state or one of the national lotto games, Keith. And like the day before the game, they could just draw out of a hat where their games are going to air that weekend. We're going to be on Fox. We're going to be on Apple. We're not sure. We're just going to flip for it. I mean, I'm waiting, and, and I'm not a as, as our listeners know. Obviously, I'm not a big social media guy, and you know, I still have Direct TV or dish TV, you know, I don't stream, but this whole, and we've talked about this over the last couple of years about, you know, buying subscriptions and streaming services and that type of thing. It's inevitable that the streaming um, numbers uh, will become the dominant numbers versus the, the over the air, the cable, the satellite, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's just a world that most of us are not familiar with. And so we don't have a real good way of understanding what that means and, and how that translates. We can translate households. And we know if you're getting, you know, 35 cents for every household in the Disney Channel or whatever the number is, we can calculate those numbers. But what happens when it's 
$3 on a streaming service for everyone that watches. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And that's honestly where we are right now is trying to figure out people in their cable bill for years. Uh, they paid for plenty of channels they didn't watch. And and now when it when it's streaming and it's direct to consumer, what is the price point people are willing to pay? What would you pay to get access to every FSU sporting event monthly? I'm asking you, Keith Jones. I mean, do you have you thought about what that number would be for you if it got you every FSU game? If I had to make a guess now, you know, I, I would probably be willing to pay 20 or 25 or 30 dollars a month for that. Which is where I think like some of the major league teams, because that's all changing right now due to the regional sports networks and what's going on there. The teams, it looks like, are going to end up producing their broadcast themselves and then farming them out. So, you know, how much are you going to pay to to watch a Padres broadcast if you're a Padres fan and you get unlimited? That's it's it's the hot stove method. We're going to throw it out here and hopefully the numbers work. And if they don't, next year is going to be a little cheaper, right? Or they're going to have to find another way. It, it's going to be and continues. It, it continues to be and will increasingly get more complicated. And, and um, as we move forward, I mean, we're going to be a long time, I think, really feeling comfortable about having figured this out. As an aside, the streaming and this sounds like get off my lawn guy. It's not better, Keith. Matter of fact, DirecTV had this down 25 years ago. It was much easier. Now, the cable networks railed against DirecTV then because they told you that anytime it rained hard, you were going to lose your satellite. And that happened sometimes, but it didn't happen half of the – although the last week in Tallahassee, it might have happened a lot. I don't know. But uh, when you go to change channels and you're streaming, it is not just to hit the last channel or the recall button. It is – it is 30 seconds of clicking out of something and, and menuing over here and clicking another thing and then waiting for it to buffer. So it's a disincentive. You don't flip back and forth. What you do is you open up another device and now you're looking at your phone and your iPad and the TV and the TV in the other room. And that's the way we consume it now. This has nothing to do with viewing sporting events, but Kathy and I talk all the time. I would love to be able to find somebody, a company, a person that could sit down with us and help us put together, do we need a landline or not? What do we do about the cell phones? What do we do about our internet? What do we do about streaming or viewing or whatever? What do we do about our alarm system? Because I think most of us, if we sat down and actually totaled up what we're spending for all these types of things, uh, you know, we'd have a conniption fit or whatever the right term is. Um, it's just complicated. And you're exactly right. Uh, the ease of moving from one to the other. I mean, that was one of the beauties of cable. I mean, cable, cable invented channel surfing. You didn't need to channel surf when you only had three channels. <laughs> Well, and you didn't need oh. a remote control either because your dad would tell you to get up and change the channel. I was my dad's remote control for a number of years. You are correct. Yeah, and and I was too. I mean, and TVs used to be as wide as your house, you know. Well, they now they're a sheet of paper of wide. They used to be pieces of furniture. Yeah, and you walk through Walmart, you can get one 70 inches that's like 249 bucks now. It is It has definitely changed. Speaking of, uh, I started the show, Keith, talking about uh, the Charlie Ward father-son camp. Uh, everybody, I, I realize Father's Day is in the rearview mirror by a few days, but uh, I'll mention that uh, 
later this week is is the anniversary of when my when I lost my dad back in uh, in 2015. So uh, always a time when I'm thinking about father son moments from growing up. And a matter of fact, the reason we recorded the show early this week is you're listening, folks. We recorded on Monday because I'm actually taking my son to a bunch of baseball stadiums this week. And so we're going to Milwaukee and Minneapolis and Chicago and we're doing the the bucket list kind of baseball stadium thing. But Keith, what's your your favorite sports memory with your dad? My favorite sports memory with my dad, and I'll try to make this very quick. I was talking with this with my sister uh, over the weekend, ironically. I broke my nose during practice playing baseball one time. And uh, I, I had just started driving, but daddy wouldn't let me drive to the doctor's office. So he had to come get me, take me to the doctor's office, bring me back, go back for a follow-up visit, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a ball game, like on a Thursday you know, afternoon. Our games usually started at six o'clock. So daddy told me I could not play in that game. So I went to school I was around my buddies. I snuck home and took my uniform with me. I went back to school, changed into my uniform, did pregame, played in the game. Well, it started at six o'clock. So my dad got off work at five. So he drove home. I'm sure he got home and saw that I wasn't there. And I'm sure mama said, I can't find his uniform. Well, here comes dad. And the way our stadium was configured, the way our baseball field was, you could see people rolling around the corner. It's the first inning. We're the home team, and I'm batting number three. I'm on the on-deck circle, and I see Dad coming, and I'm not supposed to be playing. I panicked. Boy ahead of me walked. I went up. I swung at the first pitch, and I hit a home run. So I'm running around the bases. I ran around third base. My, my head coach, Coach Mariucci, was the third base coach. I said, Coach, I got to go. I hit home plate. I went into the dugout, grabbed my glove, went out the other end, hopped the fence, got in my truck, and drove home with Daddy behind me. We get home. My dad is not happy. He looks at me, and then he gets a big smile on his face. And Tommy, he says, you better be glad you hit a home run because I'm only going to put you on restrictions for a week instead of two weeks. And I had to ride the bus to school the next week. He took my truck away from me. But it was one week, not two weeks. <laughs> That's a great story. And it may have solved one of our ongoing feuds uh, that, that began at the start of this show. And that is the definition of a walk-off home run. I mean, it feels like it was a run-off home run in your case because you touched home and you ran to the car to get home. I'm not even going to go there, Tommy, but that's a very good observation. You, you literally touched home plate, high-fived somebody in the dugout and grabbed your stuff and left? And jumped the fence because I went out the other end because my dad was standing at the end I normally would have come out in. I went out the other end, jumped the fence, and got in my truck and left. That's a great story, Keith. What about a, a, a viewing moment, watching a game, attending a game together, that sort of thing? Um, I think probably the, the, the biggest – my dad was a big Packers fan, even though we were in Florida. And I can remember, um, you know, watching uh, Packers games with him. Not, not an individual game comes to mind. But, you know, my dad was old school. He liked those uh, mid-60s Packers. Uh, this, of course, would have been in the, in the 70s when I was a teenager. But, you know, we didn't get Green Bay games very often in Central Florida because of the way the television contracts and that type of thing were. Uh, but, but Daddy being a big Packers fan, I can remember watching Packer games. And I remember one of my first – 
sports presence is daddy bought me a Bart Starr uniform. You know, you know how Sears sold the uniforms and, and Green Bay's happened to be number 15 Bart Starr. And he bought me that for Christmas one year. And I would go out in the backyard, put on my Bart Starr uniform and I would chunk balls. I'd take all the tops off of the metal garbage cans and put them at various places on the, on the yard and try to throw the ball and hit the garbage cans. Uh, that did two things. Number one, it made noise. And second of all, it put dents in it. So that made daddy annoyed. Uh, and I was, I was pretty good at annoying my dad occasionally. There's no question about that. All right. That's uh, that was good stuff. Unrehearsed, KJ. I didn't. I know where most of your stories end because we spent a lot of time together. But I, I did not know where those were going to end. I, uh, I'll, I'll share two stories related to uh, sports and my dad. When we come back, we got a few minutes left. Stay with us here on uh, Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. So, uh, Again, we're, we're walking down memory lane a little bit because the start of the week was Father's Day. The end of this week, as it turns out, is, uh, is the anniversary when my dad passed. And uh, I don't know where the time goes. It, it happened in 2015. I can't believe we're, we're at eight years, uh, Keith. But he was a huge sports fan. So he was a Dodgers fan, grew up in Brooklyn. And it was always a treat when I was a kid. He stayed with the Dodgers even when they went west to L.A. Uh, I grew up in South Florida. But uh, it was always a treat when the Dodgers would play the Braves or the Cubs because those games were always televised, right? Because we got TBS and we got WGN. And when it was a West Coast game, it would be a big deal because I get to stay up late because those games don't start till 10 o'clock, right? But it was Correct. maybe not on a weeknight, but on a weekend I could watch them. We didn't, our cable system didn't have WOR, so I didn't get to see the Mets. But anyway, my, uh, my dad's brother, my uncle lived out in uh, Venice, California in the LA area. So one summer we went to visit them and I, we were there eight days counting the day we flew into town and the day we left and the Dodgers had a six game homestand and we went to all six games, three against the Expos and three against the Phillies on the days in between. So that was our trip to California. My uncle was a big Dodgers fan too, but literally eight days and not counting travel in and travel out six, six games in six days at Dodger stadium. Well, my first reaction to that is I'm sure that pleased your mother. Well, that she wasn't on the trip. <laughs> well, that's even better. There you go. Yeah. You planned it well. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the other one, this is one that, uh, this is a game we didn't go to as it turns out, Keith. So this is going to go back, I think it was 1984. Again, I grew up in the Fort Lauderdale area. And it was the Friday after Thanksgiving. And it was a rainy, kind of cold, dreary day for South Florida. Cold and dreary, meaning it was like 62 degrees, which is pretty cold in South Florida, right? Even for November, I mean, because if it drops below 70, you're like, what in the world is going on? And uh, the Hurricanes were playing a, a Friday Thanksgiving game, and uh, we had talked about going. And uh, now, bear in mind, the Hurricanes had won the national title the year before, right? right. The 83 season, so they right. were a big deal in South Florida. And uh, although this was Jimmy Johnson's first year, Ultimately, we decided not to go. We didn't want to just sit in the rain in the Orange Bowl, blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being the Hail Flutie 
47-45 Boston College over Miami game at the Orange Bowl that how many times a year do we see that highlight? That's the one we chose not to go to the game. And uh, I'm such a fool. Was it Phelan that caught the ball? Yeah. Flutie to Phelan. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So we, we, we stayed home and watched that on CBS. I think it was CBS. I think Brent Mossberger called that one, but uh, anyway, good, good memories and, and good times. Keith, we have a couple minutes to go. We uh, we're, we're reaching the dead of summer here. College world series. Uh, we'll wrap up in the next week or so. And, uh, and then after that, the sports calendar, we, we totally just turned the page and, and we're on to uh, counting days until ACC kickoff and until fall camp starts. We are, and it keeps getting closer and closer and it keeps getting earlier and earlier. And, um, and that's okay. Uh, that's what, what we like. Uh, I, I just need to catch my breath every now and then. Yeah, understood. Well, I'll let you do that now, Keith. Uh, you go back to the beach. Uh, I'll refresh. We're going to talk baseball next week, by the way, uh, Florida State baseball. Hopefully we'll uh, have Link Jarrett on the show. Uh, there's a lot going on with Florida State baseball. Two assistants changing. Just announced five kids coming in from the portal, and they're not done. They're out there turning over rocks right now, trying to find somebody that will help the program. So look forward to that conversation. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you once again next week. Sounds good, Tommy. Appreciate it. All right. Until then, everybody, uh, thanks, as always, for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and we'll talk to you again next week.